When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Welcome to Aaron Menke's Cabinet of Curiosities, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. A regular at the station, he had witnessed the scene before. Hundreds of Union soldiers marched to the train station in Indianapolis, ready to serve the North in the Civil War. As those trains would depart, others would arrive, this time full of the dead, the dying, and the seriously injured. There had to be a better way, he often thought. If fewer men went off to fight, there would be less death and fewer men returning with such serious injuries. Equally horrific, he noticed, more men died from disease than gunshots. Wars, in his opinion, were futile. Perhaps the answer was to create something so formidable that maybe wars wouldn't be fought at all. He'd been inventing practically all his life. His first foray into engineering had been while working with his father, processing cotton in his home state of North Carolina. There he'd improved on cotton thinning machines. In 1839, he improved on propeller screws for steamboats on the Mississippi. Later, he adapted his cotton thinning machines to sow crops like wheat and other grains. In 1850, he created a machine that broke apart hemp. His inventions had helped revolutionize agriculture. Over the years, though, he improved on other inventions as well. The bicycle, steam cleaners for raw wool, and even a better flushing toilet. But now he was faced with a new dilemma, how to end wars faster. And he'd come up with a solution. After pondering on the idea in 1861, he drafted a prototype of a new gun. The gun, which held up to 10 magazines surrounded by a barrel, was housed on an axis between two large wheels. Turning the crank fired off 200 rounds per minute, depending on the speed of the gunner. Later versions fired off even more, 350 rounds per minute. He quickly filed for a patent in 1861 and set up a factory, paying for the first six prototypes from his own funds. The factory, though, burned down, destroying everything. Determined as ever, he set about building 13 more. When he was done, the military practically ignored him and his new rapid-fire gun, and it wasn't until 1863 before the Washington Naval Yard tested it for themselves. Even though they gave the gun glowing reviews, only 12 of the guns were purchased, and not by the government. Union commanders bought them with their own funds. After success in the trenches during the siege of Petersburg, Virginia, eight more guns were purchased and fitted onto gunboats. Still, the army didn't widely accept its use until after a gun company representative provided a demonstration during combat in 1865. Oddly enough, right at the very end of the war, the gun had been designed to end. This inventor never anticipated where the weapon would find its first heavy use. 
Sadly, the U.S. Army employed the machine guns in the campaign against Native American tribes throughout the 1870s. In fact, the gun became most well-known for not being used during a famous battle. General George Armstrong Custer decided against bringing the guns to the Battle of Little Bighorn. While it's difficult to look back on the history of that event and wish Custer more success, he was, after all, slaughtering Native peoples so that Americans could spread farther west. It is easy to see the flaw in his decision. In 1870, the inventor sold his most famous creation to firearms manufacturer Colt. The weapon had done just the opposite of what he had set out to do. The gun had been dreamed up to save lives, but had become a weapon of mass destruction, which stood in direct opposition to its inventor's real profession. You see, Richard Gatling, the father of the Gatling gun, wasn't an engineer by trade. He was a doctor. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. This episode is sponsored by Intuit. Here's a story for you. Once upon a time, a young woman was haunted by the ghosts of bad financial decisions, with credit card debt and an empty savings account looming over her every day. When she tried to ignore these ghosts, they only grew bigger and scarier, and these ghosts of her bad financial decisions were stopping her from living her best life. So she decided to face them head-on and take control of her finances with help from Intuit. Intuit helps you face your financial fears with confidence through products like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. The world can be a cruel place. War seems to be a constant plague, as are famine, disease, and poverty. On top of all of that, climate change has already had a devastating effect on the planet, and will only get worse if we don't do something about it today. Natural disasters seem to be getting stronger. Hurricanes seem to hit harder. Floods and earthquakes are wiping out entire cities. And volcanoes? Well, just ask Ludger Silbaris. Silbaris lived on the island of Martinique in the Caribbean, working in St. Pierre as a day laborer. He'd been born in June of 1874 on one of the many plantations there, just over five and a half miles away. St. Pierre was no stranger to the occasional disasters. 
1780, a great hurricane had brought with it a 25-foot storm surge that flooded the city. Every home was washed away. Over 9,000 people perished. Meanwhile, looming over all of them was another catastrophe waiting to happen. Mount Pele. Mount Pele wasn't so much a mountain as it was an active volcano. It hadn't gone off in thousands of years, and the people of St. Pierre didn't seem to think anything about it. Perhaps they should have. It was the night of May 7th of 1902 when Silbaris found himself in a local jail cell. He had a bit of a reputation around town for getting into fights. According to a few people, he had been arrested after murdering a man, though it was more likely that he had gotten into a bar fight. Whatever the case, Silbaris was locked up for the night. Several hours later, on May 8th, Mount Pele erupted. Smoke and rumbling had been emanating from the mountain for weeks, warning everyone below, but nobody paid any attention. That morning, the mountainside blew wide open and the sky turned dark with smoke. No one could see a thing for 50 miles. Two enormous clouds had formed in the blast. The first came screaming out the side of the mountain. The second blew straight up into the sky before falling back down to earth across St. Pierre. This wasn't a simple puff of smoke like one that might billow out from your fireplace. It was comprised of ash, rock, and gas, and had reached a temperature of over 1800 degrees Fahrenheit, a phenomenon known as pyroclastic flow. The plume traveled at roughly 400 miles per hour, leveling everything in its path. Homes, buildings, trees, and people, all in under a minute. Villagers from nearby towns had seen the warning signs and come to St. Pierre to hide from the blast, unaware that they had placed themselves right in its path. 28,000 souls died that day, almost the whole city's population. I say almost, because three people managed to survive. One man lived so far away that he was safe from the smoke's reach. Another, a girl in a boat off the coast of the island, was rendered unconscious by the explosion, which also pushed her boat out to sea. Though the ash and debris did burn her, she escaped with her life. But what about Ludger Silbaris, who had been jailed for disorderly conduct the night before? Everyone else in the building had been destroyed by the volcano. Except for him. He hadn't been placed in the main jail cell. Instead, he had been locked away in solitary confinement. His small cell had been built halfway underground with thick stone walls, making it impervious to bombs and other blasts. He was found days later by a rescue crew who heard him calling for help. He had suffered burns all over his body. He told his rescuers that when the hot air started flowing into his cell, he stripped out of his clothes and urinated on them to keep them from catching fire. He then shoved them into the single grating in the cell floor that had provided him with any kind of fresh air prior to the eruption. Blocking it up had kept the gases and other particles from reaching his lungs. Silbaris's quick thinking and his serendipitous lodgings had saved his life that day. In fact, though the rest of the police station had been reduced to rubble, his cell held up and still stands to this day. A monument to one man's incredible luck at being in the right place at the wrong time. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. 
And until next time, stay curious.